everybody, and welcome to What's the Problem, the podcast where we dive deep into today's hot-button cyber and data security topics. During each episode, we're joined by expert guests who will share insights, takeaways, and experiences in the world of cyber and data security. Podcast provides a lot of valuable info, strategies to get your organization moving up and to the right. So join us as we explore the evolving landscape of security. This is What's the Problem? I am your host, Mike Crass. Let's get started. Today, we are joined by Ian L. Patterson. Ian, say hello to the viewers. Hello, Mike. Great to be here. And Ian, first question for you. Why are you qualified to talk about security? Tell our viewers a little bit about your background. Well, I actually sit at the intersection between cybersecurity and AI. And so uh, we, we didn't get as much credit for that up until this year. And then now it seems to be really important. Um, so I, I've spent the last 15 years solving business problems using data. Um, for, for the last chunk of time, uh, I've, I've been running a company called Plurlock. Uh, Plurlock, we're actually publicly traded. We're, we're listed on the TSX Venture. Uh, the ticker is PLUR. Uh, last year, we did approximately $64 million a year in revenue, and that's up from just under half a million dollars two years prior. So we've seen a tremendous amount of growth. Most of our clients that we deal with are on the larger side, mid-market, uh, enterprise, and government agencies. The U.S. federal government is, is definitely our largest uh, customer by far, which is notable because we're actually a Canadian company and Canadian headquarter company. Um, but we're seeing a, a lot uh, in the way of conversation uh, to do with AI, both both positive and negative, uh, bad guys, et cetera. So I'm, I'm excited to talk to you about it. Absolutely. And that's a perfect segue. I'm hearing these, these stories, these murmurs right now of, that AI has been a, a little bit of a head fake when it comes to cybersecurity. You know, what are you hearing? Like, what are you seeing in, in the markets right now? So it's a great question. I, I think if we rewind maybe six months ago, we saw uh, a, a sudden boom of interest and attention on ChatGPT specifically. And I think that uh, I've, I've actually seen a chart which looks at the growth rate. How fast does it take, does, does it take a product or a company to get from zero to a million users and zero to a hundred million users. And, right. you know, chose Instagram and Facebook and Snapchat. And these are all kind of normal looking curves. And then ChatGPT is just straight up. Like it's not even up and to the right, it's just straight up. <laughs> and so vertical. it was this, yeah, it was vertical. It's it just the monstrous growth. But then what happens is that interest seemed to die down a little bit. And what happened in parallel is that there's been this Cambrian explosion of generative AI tools. So what we're seeing in practice across pretty much every industry, every company size and every vertical is that there's still a ton of interest in generative AI. The actual usage or, or adoption rate of ChatGPT, I, I don't know if it's held steady or, or if it's gone down a little bit. I did see a report, um, I think it was last week or the week before, indicating that uh, that signups had been slowing or, or potentially actually had gone down month over month. Mm -hmm. So I'm not sure exactly there, but I think I think that people are starting to realize that the technology itself is more useful if it's consumed some, some other way, not just directly through a chatbot, but if it's integrated into some other system. So that's what we're seeing a lot of um, from our customers. And those integrations, tell me, I hear integration and then I think of security. So how do these integrations play 
play a role in in the world of security. Now, if those are opening up, because for, for you know all the viewers who are probably aware, and like you just said, when ChatGPT started, it's you went to OpenAI's website, like you accessed it through a browser, and you stayed in that browser. And now, just the other day, I logged into one of our sales tech platforms, and they've got a generative AI model sitting there to help us write copy and subject lines and this and that and the other thing um, based on a large language model. So it seems like the integrations now become potentially security uh, vulnerability, maybe, maybe not. Like, what do you see? Well, I think there's probably two different ways we can we can tackle this problem. I think generally speaking, I am seeing the same thing as, as yourself. I'm seeing a lot of integrated tools that have generative AI capabilities. So a good example would be something like Grammarly. Grammarly, uh, you know, browser extension um, allows you to, it's like a, a super, super duper spell check. It's probably not the, the technical uh, trademark for them, uh, right. but, but I just think of them as a super duper spell check. And they recently added uh, an integration with OpenAI, uh, which I think is called Grammarly Go or Grammarly App, something like that. And so now it allows users to get the benefit of OpenAI inside the Grammarly tool. But you asked a question about security. So as a security practitioner, I'm looking at this and saying, okay, great. I may or may not have trusted ChatGPT. Um, and, and we can get into maybe some reasons why we shouldn't. But now I have to not only look at, at OpenAI uh, and ChatGPT, but we also have to look at, at these other applications that maybe have it under the hood. And, right. uh, and so those are harder to identify and they're also harder to uh, apply any controls to. So as a, as a CISO, as a, as a security practitioner, how do I make sure that users are not accidentally disclosing data of, that's a, of a confidential nature into a generative AI tool where the license in the terms of service grants the tool license to be able to train on it, right? That's, those are some right. of the questions that we're asking right now, and there's not great solutions to, to those problems. Which, if I recall, in the past 30 days, 45 days or so, uh, we're recording this here in summer of 2023, uh, the founder of ChatGPT, or I should say of OpenAI, um, <clears throat> he probably gets that a lot, uh, he was just brought in front of a, a Senate subcommittee here in Washington, D.C., and asked about training, right? That, that was the, the thing they were talking about a lot is what is being used as training data and what is not being used. So in hearing what you're talking about, the integration pipeline is exciting because it means that you can use some of these generative AI um, tools and models in other applications you're already using, right? Makes it easier. I don't flip between the two. Simple. But it also limits controls. So it seems like that's that understanding the controls of what it can and cannot train on falls into probably those terms of service that a lot of people kind of just go accept and walk away from. Would you agree with a statement like that? I, I think that's definitely the case. The, the We separate it um, into to a couple of different uh, categories. And so the first category of of usage is governed by whatever your internal in, uh, employee handbook says. So do you have a policy inside the company which says you are or are not allowed to use ChatGPT and other forms of generative AI? Now, what I will say, and, and I've spent the last uh, couple of weeks um, doing customer interviews with, with our customers. Um, for the most part, most organizations, the majority have policies in place which govern the use of large language models, including ChatGPT. And what most of those policies say is either 
straight up, you're not allowed to use them or you're allowed to use them, but make sure you don't put any confidential data in there. And so confidential data could be um, customer data, PII, personal health information, you know, social security number. If you're in the finance uh, sector, um, source code, uh, which can right. be like alpha code that you use, you use to generate trading models. Um, obviously, if you're in the US and you're in healthcare, HIPAA is a major concern. As far as I know, ChatGPT is not HIPAA compliant, so you really don't want to be using HIPAA or uh, you don't want to be inputting HIPAA controlled data into ChatGPT, otherwise that's a violation. Um, and so the, those, those AI governance policies are saying, try not to put in confidential data. But the challenge is, as a policy, that makes sense. The challenge is, if you're an end user, even if you don't maliciously do that, how do you make sure that you don't accidentally do that? So I'll give you a perfect example. I, uh, I, I like to think of myself as a power user, which means I use a lot of uh, like alt tabs and control C and control V. And yeah. uh, I do it so quickly that my behavior is set up where I'll just like control copy, control C, copy something, control V and hit enter. And the control V and hit enter is the thing that I do automatically. And I think you know where this is going. I don't yeah. always have the thing <laughs> in the clipboard that I think that I do. And so I end up pasting something I shouldn't in Slack. I end up pasting something I shouldn't into ChatGPT. And if you do that and you hit enter and you're on the consumer version of ChatGPT, well, that data is out there. Like you, you, you've now disclosed something that you shouldn't and there's not good ways of, of, of pulling it back. So it, it is a big problem. It's a, it's a large conversation that we're having um, as, and it's topical too. Um, I mean, we, we shipped something last week. It's an it's a early access program capability called PromptGuard which is actually specifically designed to, uh, to provide some guardrails around AI usage um, for businesses that have confidential data. The reality though, Mike, and, and what we're seeing in practice is that basically every company has confidential data of one sort or another, even if the only part that you have is HR data, right? Um, right? If you have customers or if you have employees, you probably have data you need to protect and you have a, a regulatory obligation to protect. And, and businesses don't see a good way of, of doing that. Uh, and so that's why we've entered the market. You mentioned, you know, the two policies at the beginning of that thought of just don't use these or use them, but be careful is kind of how I would summarize them. Um, I've got some friends who work for the U.S. federal government. The U.S. federal government is on, on the, the first policy. If you're on a U.S. federal government device, like a tablet, computer, a phone, whatever, do not use period, end of story. Is it, uh, you know, you're in Canada, is it the same in Canada or what kind of controls are they talking about up there? Yeah, sure. But we saw this with the iPhone, right? Like if you think about what happened when the iPhone and smartphones came out, what did businesses do? Businesses said, oh my goodness, this is a security nightmare. You are not allowed to use your smartphone for work. And what happened in practice? Everybody did, right? It was too convenient. It was too useful. And as a result, corporate data ended up on smartphones. Now, what did the industry have to do? Well, the industry very quickly had to come up with some mobile device management software, um, some, you know, encrypt by default policy settings. But it was in response to the fact that just telling people not to do it didn't actually work. I see AI as the exact same thing on a number of fronts, by the way. Like, I think the parallels are a bit uncanny. The adoption rate is so, is, is so large, just like smartphones were it's creating an entirely new category of software. So this idea that it's not just open AI, but it's actually open AI integrated plus something else kind of sounds like the iPhone and the app store in terms of like, Hey, this is an enabling technology that's now going to create other 
uh, value add as people build on top of it, right? And you've also got the security nightmare of, hey, there's a new, there's a new area where corporate data that's regulated is going to show up. It's just the reality. And so as a business owner or, or as a CISO, how are you going to first be aware that that's happening? And then second, how do you enforce whatever policies that you, that you feel that you want to or need to put in place? Hmm. I like, I'm going to repeat that back to you. It's as a CISO, you're really talking about awareness and then enforcement, right? Of uh, it's, it's, and it's, that's a linear thing. I can't enforce what I'm not aware of. Right. So I'm not aware of, it's the same thing like you talked about where, uh, you know, in 2007 or 2006, 2005, when the U.S. federal government said, no, no, like employees, please don't use smartphones. And then the U.S. federal government became the biggest consumer, especially in Washington, D.C., physically, uh, of BlackBerry devices, right, which were some of the earliest smartphones. Um, so that's an interesting thing that uh, just wanted to repeat back to you. You got to be aware of it. You got to be able to enforce it. Now, I think the last question I wanted to dive into with the viewers today is talking about just the markets. You know, it's, it's 2023, it's been a bit of a topsy-turvy market, uh, not just here in the States, but in other places as well. What are you seeing in the world uh, of cybersecurity in terms of the capital markets? Is, is it as tough as everyone's saying it is out there to, to raise capital either in the private or public markets? Uh, you know, what, what kind of inside baseball can you share with us without getting anybody in trouble? Well, I think that we've seen a lot of change. I think it's been choppy uh, would be my my overall comment. Uh, if you think back two years ago, uh, or even last year in the first part of 2022, but certainly 2021 and, and 2020, we saw markets going to all-time highs. We saw a whole bunch of cybersecurity companies go public, either by traditional IPO or through SPACs. Um, some of them ran up to multi-billion dollars or, or at least plus, plus a billion dollars of market cap. Um, now what we're seeing, uh, just as a sort of overall general statement, is the opposite. Companies are getting taken private at a pretty fast rate. So I think Tomo Bravo um, in particular right. has just been taking companies private left, right, and center. Um, you know, Ping Identity, I think was a Tomo Bravo deal. Magnet Forensics up in Canada, they got taken private for, for over a billion right. dollars by Tomo. Absolute Software, another Canadian publicly traded company, also taken private. And Absolute Software had been on the, the, the TSX exchange for forever, it seemed like. Uh, so, so there's definitely a shift from going public to instead going private. So that's the first one. I think second one, um, certainly the access to capital uh, is decreased. Um, I serve on the, the advisory council to the, the TSX Venture Exchange, which is where we're listed. Um, and so we get we get monthly um, volume metrics and and certainly the capital raised and these are public numbers like the capital raised is less than it has been in the past just as an absolute aggregate number. Um, deals are getting done, I would say, in, in like in terms of financings. I, I'm also seeing a lot more M and A, and also we're we're acquisition oriented. So we've we've bought four companies, and so as a result, we now have a reputation for buying companies. And we have a lot of companies mm -hmm. coming to us looking looking for solutions or looking for exits. And I would say that the we're seeing a lot more venture-backed uh, software companies in the cybersecurity space who either thought they could raise a Series A or a Series B and not have the metrics, or thought that they would be cash flow positive by now and aren't. Mm -hmm. um, and so we're seeing we're seeing a lot more of that. Um, you know, I think I don't think building a business is ever easy. So 
you know, to say that now is is hard uh, is like sure, of course now is hard, but it was hard before. It was just hard for different reasons. Um, yeah. But I think there's also that also means that there's opportunity. It just depends on what side of the table you're on. Um, you know, I've I've certainly been um, I've certainly had uh, terms proposed to me over over the course of my life uh, that could be described as horrific uh, in terms of the deals that were being offered to me. Like, sure, I'll, I'll invest in you on these terms, and they would be considered horrific. Now, but if you're on the other side of the table that's a great deal, right? And so it just depends on your perspective. So is it hard right now? Yes. Um, but I also think that being hard means that there's opportunity. It just depends if you're a buyer or a seller. Uh, and so for us as a, as a buyer, I think that there, there could be great opportunities. Um, for us as a seller, um, you know, our market cap is a fraction of what, what our revenue is. So our revenue, we did 64 million a year. Last year, our market cap is significantly less than that. And to me, that seems... Uh, like I'm, I'm scratching my head a little bit uh, on, mm. on what the disconnect is. So it just depends on what side of the table you're on, I think. Yeah. Mm. Well, Ian, thank you. And to our, our viewers and our listeners, that is a wrap on this episode of What's the Problem? Hope you found our conversation with Ian L. Patterson insightful and informative. Uh, also wanted to give a quick shout out to our host, MKG Marketing. MKG is focused on helping cybersecurity businesses get found, get leads, close deals. So if you're cybersecurity business is struggling to do any or all of those things, let us help you. To learn more, you can visit our website at mkgmarketinginc.com. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating. Ian told me he only likes six-star ratings, so we're not going to let Ian down now, all right? Give him the six-star ratings. Uh, until next time, my friends, Ian, say goodbye to our viewers and listeners. Mike, I really appreciate the opportunity. If, if folks are looking to connect, Ian, I-A-N, at Pluralock.com, we're more than happy to share the results of the surveys that we've done uh, around generative AI usage. Um, we've also got a couple of free resources, including uh, uh, AI governance uh, templates and examples. So if you're thinking about, hey, hey how, do we, how do we put the right policy in place with AI usage, we've got some free resources there and, and we're happy to um, help support, help support the community however we can. So please don't hesitate to reach out. Thanks, Mike. That's awesome. And like Ian said, you can email him. We're also going to offline put those in the show notes so you can talk to him directly or you can access those um, on their website. Thanks.